Michael Falzon is the real deal. He is charm personified and comes with an engaging sense of humour and an infinite industry wisdom. Born of extensive time as a performer and producer in the business we call show. Upon any meeting with Falzon, I best describe him as possessed of a gentle bonhomie. He is humble and modest, but at the same time can be direct, frank and insightful. His early career saw him sing professionally in Brisbane with Vocal Point, an eight-part group specialising in close harmony. Early work on the stage provided him an opportunity to explore classical musical theatre styles and operetta in a succession of shows that included The Pirates of Penzance, HMS Pinafore, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and Hello Dolly. These experiences would lay valuable foundations that would see him develop terrific versatility as a stage performer and vocal skill that would extend to rock and popular repertoire. In 2003, he was rewarded with his breakthrough role in We Will Rock You. Selected by creators Ben Elton and Queen's Roger Taylor and Brian May, his performance as Galileo Figaro earned great acclaim. After a tour nationally, Falzon played the show in Japan and throughout the United Kingdom. Falzon's extensive on-stage work has included Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Ordinary Days, Floyd Collins, Jesus Christ Superstar, Rock of Ages, Chess and an opportunity to craft the role of Leo Zillard in the Australian-USA co-production of Atomic. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording this conversation with the always engaging Mr Michael Felson. Ten years ago a passing thought led me to who I am These patents I hold could seem me a wealthy man I managed to escape the raging storm there's food on my plate, my bed is warm I tried my best, they sent me away That was okay, until Souls alive now could be ashes by tonight As one man on my own, I have no voice These circumstances leave me no choice I can't just hope this cloud will blow away Having me on your podcast, no, it's, it's, it's award-winning it's a podcast. Oh, thank you. Who told you that? <laughs> <laughs> we, we've already been talking for a few minutes before. No, it's we went a lovely on. home here in the inner west. How long have you been here? Uh, about nine months, I think, nine or ten months. Oh, so it's still very um, new. Well, yeah, kind of. We had been um, looking for somewhere to to move. I'd been back and forth a little bit between here your and life Melbourne. Been quite nomadic, hasn't it? You've been all over the world. Uh, yeah, between it the has. States. And then um, after a, a Vita, it kind of, I don't know, it's like I had I felt like I'd had a little break and was producing for a little while and then a Vita is what kind of brought me back onto the stage and then I started getting more offers and we were keeping a little place down in St Kilda. I was loving Melbourne. I love Melbourne. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> I do, especially through the summer. It was wonderful. Um, but we were living um, in the city here in Sydney um, 
and uh, and tried Bondi for a tiny bit, which I sorry to all my active friends that I think congregate around Bondi, but I hated it. And it's, it's too much. It's too Bondi. Um, and just, weekends would be just so packed, I mean. Oh, well, for, for my wife, for Jane, who was working, well, they have an office in Surrey Hills with um, her production company. Uh, well, not her production company, the production company she works for. Yeah. <laughs> well, she might have Get her in day. trouble. Well, one day. Um, yeah, getting out of there was, it was a shit fight um, in the mornings. Um, and I, I mean, I, I did enjoy running around to the beach and doing all that kind of stuff. But uh, we... Um, Hadn't ever lived anywhere except the city and, and kind of eastern suburbs and, and we were looking for a while and Jane found here, I love it, uh, Enmore, amazing, Enmore Road. I mean, it's like, you can eat every flavour under the sun. Absolutely. Yeah. There's like three chefs had at restaurants within walking distance from here and um, yeah, it's been amazing. It's, uh, you feel like a bit of an idiot when you didn't even realise it was here. I thought... The city ended at Newtown, but it doesn't. There's more. There's more people. There's more. <laughs> well, it's lovely to see you again. Um, yeah. And especially after a very buoyant post on Facebook the other day when you <laughs> said you were feeling really energetic and, and positive mm. after what has been a, 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 a quite a challenging time, I imagine. Yeah. It's, it was interesting. I haven't, um, as we were talking about earlier, I haven't really been sharing much about... Um, you know what's been going on with me I mean, I'm, yeah, through social media channels I and mean, people that ring me and people that I see and talk to I'm you know open about it um, but um, yeah so it's been I think we're in month 10 now from when I was diagnosed with uh, what was stage 4 germ cell cancer is what it's what it's called so, um, very so much a, ra- a rarity is, is it it's not it's, it's people? well it's it's not a it's not a common one no it's not a common cancer, um, and it was misdiagnosed in the at the outset when I was in Melbourne. I was in rehearsals actually for Sweeney Todd, and um, I just went for a checkup. Uh, and this is just a little, <laughs> a little um, you know, note to anybody listening. Um, I just get regular checkups every six months. You know, blood counts. Were you feeling well or anything? No, I was feeling the best I've actually felt. Um, in a very long time the fittest I've been since probably Rock of Ages um, uh, doing lots of Pilates and you know runs on the beach and um, you know I felt I felt really good I was just looking after myself because it was a busy year and nobody wants to get sick and take time off work um, and they my doctor down there said oh that's interesting I want to get some more tests and I went mm, okay I thought I was deficient in something, being a vegetarian, or I don't know, you don't know. Or maybe, you know, you're in your 40s and you think, oh, maybe there is something, but we'll get on it, it'll be fine, because I'm fit and healthy. Uh, but that, the blood test then turned into an ultrasound, turned into a CT scan, and um, they said, yeah, you've, you've got pretty advanced cancer. And I didn't feel a single symptom of it. And they think that was because I was pretty fit, and my body was just, you know, getting on with the job. Uh, if we didn't get onto it when we did, though, then it could have been quite. It was pretty fast growing, so it could have been a different story. Were you a, a smoker or anything like no. that? No, 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 no. I'm not even. I mean, so an pack- embarrassment to the industry. I'm not even a heavy drinker. No, there was nothing. An extra hard wallop in that you don't have anything to blame. It's just sort of a, well, a Russian roulette. Or? Well, the opposite, actually. Right. Um, I don't feel responsible for it. If if you were a, a heavy smoker and you got lung cancer, then you could go, "Ah, oh, fuck! 
well, fair enough then. <laughs> but because I don't have anything to, uh, it's it's dumb luck. It's not something that's in my family. It's not something that I can even pass on. It's just a, a rare genetic muck up. Um, and apparently, you know, it was just in my genes. It was going to happen. But there's no way to find it until it until it happens. So psychologically, I don't feel like it was my fault. Uh, and I also count myself very fortunate that I was healthy enough to be able to tackle it for as long as I could because when they found it, it had already metastasized and spread. Um, and I've been able to... Um, yeah, deal with it, I, I suppose, in, in ways that maybe other people in the situation you describe <laughs> um, might not be able to. It puts life on pause for a while. It I definitely guess. had put my, other, not my life on pause, but certainly focus. certainly oh, my work. <laughs> that was a bad choice of words. Um, yeah, I was just about to open in Sweeney Todd. Um, as Pirelli. But... As Pirelli, uh, which was, oh God, I had fun in the room. Um, working up that role so much fun and working with um, with Warlow I we had never worked together before um, and uh, and I think you know we each found it fun we're very detailed in in the way that he's got a lot more work to do in that job obviously than Pirelli did but just uh, working up the scenes and, and singing that wonderful um, aria in inverted commas uh, was a lot of fun but um it's just a few days out. We we're just about to come up to Sydney. We we're rehearsing in Melbourne, and I had to go and speak to um, the producers and um, and just say, "Look, this has happened. You need to get my understudy up, and I'm going to Sydney to find out more about what's going on." And they said, "That's fine." <laughs> um, had to let Anthony know, um, and because uh, it was obviously going to affect affect him because we were so close to opening. Um, he was very supportive and 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 genuinely well they were genuinely upset, but we didn't announce anything because I didn't properly get um, uh, a formal diagnosis until literally opening night, uh, at which stage I had to pull out of Sweeney like on after bringing it all together. Well, it would be a, a, a great sounding board, I imagine, having been through his own cancer journey. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, just a couple of messages. Um, it's not... I mean, everyone, everyone's experience is, is unique with this kind of thing. Um, uh, I think what I've learned is that not only is it unique um, with the different sort of cancers that people have and you know going into the um the chris o'brien lifehouse where i'll be getting most of my treatment now is um uh it's quite an eye-opener um just all the different sort of cancers that there are but the way that they treat them is entirely different there are certain subcategories of a particular illness that you might have it's ridiculous so everyone it's a personal thing because you, you you're finding out about it day by day week to week and something something new uh, comes to hand and you just say, okay, well, I'll deal with that. And I think, um, you know, you'd say someone like Anthony, um, uh, that was a long time ago. It was a different kind of experience, a different kind of cancer for him. But I think in general, um, not only were the cast and, um, and producers of Sweeney very supportive um, when we did have to officially announce what I was going through because... I had to pull out of the opening uh, and I then had to cancel um, 
thoroughly modern Millie. Had to cancel some swing on this date, some other concerts and stuff like just, you know, but the overwhelming support from the industry, um, it's, I've never felt anything like it. Um, you know, it's better than any curtain call. <laughs> we can't go back and undo what we started. Unplant the seed and take back all we've done. The atom we held free is now the enemy. To use the bomb will cost us all we fought for. It's not winning when you've lost all that you've won. The greatest casualty, our own humanity, where's our morality? This is insanity. Yes, it did put my career um, on hold. I still have been producing um, some stuff, but as we know, um, <laughs> everything, yes, everything's been turned off. Climate, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we had some, some cool things to announce, like many, many people did, but yeah, everything's on hold for the moment. I said to my dad when he uh, got cancer, are you pissed off? And he said, no, it's, it's just an inconvenience. Well, there's some truth in that. We, we're very much thinking of it as just part of part of life. A chapter. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. To, you know, turn the page on as quickly as we can. But you're feeling great now. I feel great. Three months of what's been quite a, a traumatic yeah. treatment. Well, yeah, period. this last three months. But it's been nine months of treatment altogether. And, um, and in the midst of that, I've managed to, you know, still keep on, um, you know, employing people and producing things, um, concerts and and shows on on cruise ships and, and and bits and pieces and even getting up to have a little sing uh, when we did um uh fundraiser for abf uh well in the October. Act of benevolent fund yeah, yeah. acts of benevolent fund sorry um yeah and it was nice to get up and with the community and 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 um and and sing but it was it was pretty difficult i think physically because i'd been through so much chemo but also emotionally <laughs> uh to be you know, I felt like I dropped myself in. I said, what, what have I done? <laughs> but that was a concert you produced, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess it's easy for people not to say no to you now. That's true. Yeah? That is That's true. It's um <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know how much currency uh, and for how long uh, I have it. But um, but it, it is nice that... Um, well, people are offering more than me asking to be a part of things or to help. Um, and I think now also in, in this time of of um coronavirus 
once you get past the panic, and this is like speaking from my unique experience too, like this panic, there was panic at the beginning of, you know, this, you know, it felt like the world was, was falling down on me as well. But now, well, while the world is actually falling down for everybody, once you get past the panic, um, I think we're already starting to see communities band together, um, except for the toilet paper fiends. Um, they'll they're, forever, they're they'll another, forever be isolated. Another, species, another species. Um, but yeah, and, and I think particularly in our community. I mean, there was evidence last night, I don't know if you saw, like Little Red Company had put together what the first streaming fundraiser for artists, and they put it together yes. in 48 hours, raising money for the ABF in Queensland. And um, but, it's but, amazing. Performers are becoming very inventive. Uh, last night on Facebook, there I saw a couple of drag queens doing a show. Really? Yeah, a, a DJ DJing from his uh, the show, or they're just passing time. <laughs> no, actually, in their, in their kitchen. In their kitchen. Um, I love that you're a fan of Pilates. I've just started it, and I think it's, it's oh the best. Oh my god! Alinta Chitsi got me onto it. All oh, right, I don't know because I'm a gentleman of a certain age, or I don't know, or what. But um, I, I'm using muscles I never knew existed. I know, and you feel them develop, and you mm. start feeling superhuman. Um, I was having a couple of problems. This sound like an old man. Um, we had this rake in a Vita, and I because you're walking around on an angle all the time, and my back started playing up into my neck, and I started getting these migraines. And I've got a couple of little niggles from running in my knee, one in my shoulder. And I was like, this is shit. I've got to try and do something about this. And there was um, Linda said, um, you've got to come and do Pilates. And, you know, I'm not doing Pilates. What am I going to do Pilates for? Anyway, I went and did a, um, a reformer class. And then I couldn't get enough. And everything, even now, even now after stopping doing it, you know, nine months later, I don't have any of those niggles anymore. It fixed everything. All those supporting muscles and all those... I mean, you know, so many dancers in shows have been doing it and swearing by it for years. But I'm, I'm a convert, and as soon as I can get back into it, um, I, I, I think, for me, it did what it was supposed to do physically at the time that I needed it. It made me feel a million bucks. Well, I'd maybe more billion millions, a not billion, very much yeah, anymore. A billion can't even buy one bedroom, one bedroom apartment for a million dollars <laughs> Billion bucks, and um, but it also all of my medical team have said at every step of of, of this of my various treatments and surgeries and whatever the health that I was in when I was diagnosed has what's kept me able to persevere through all of this. And so I would just encourage everyone to, you know, never mind putting, well, yes, do put money away for a rainy day because as my brother said the other day, you know, it's raining. <laughs> so it's time to time to dip into your, um, your savings, but your health has got to be paramount because if something does happen, um, as it did to me, if you're not prepared for it physically, um, I, who knows? Yeah. You're a Turian, which I was delighted to see, just like me. Oh, I'm right. a Turian, born in May, May boys. Yes, yes. Um, and some of the traits, I think, are pretty accurate, uh, as far as I'm concerned. You're so, an astrological person, aren't you? Well, not, not hugely, but I think that the description of certain zodiac signs can be pretty good. Aren't they the same for everybody, though? No. No. No, no, no. No, of course not. So I wonder... What do we got? Who am I? Are you dependable? Oh, I would like to think so. I would agree. I would, I'm, just, I'm just checking. Um, You're as I said, literally well, ticking you off a list. For 26 years. <laughs> Are you patient? Uh, I actually, yeah. I would say over the last year, I've you certainly learned, learned a level patience. of patience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stubborn. 
Oh yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Hedonistic. Hedonistic. Yes. I think everybody has that in them, especially in our industry. I think when the circumstances are right, the stars align, then yeah, I think we can all be a little bit hedonistic. Well, it's it's. 11, I wouldn't say 11, I am. It's eleven a.m. in the morning. I was just offered a glass of wine. You were. So <laughs> it's the weekend. I um no, I would say no, but if if the stars align, then yeah, sure, why not? And loyal. Are you loyal? Uh, I would consider myself to be loyal. And you expect loyalty? And I don't expect loyalty. I think that's something that you earn. Um, yeah, I, 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 again, it's the last year. It's really funny. I was doing one of the, I don't know if you saw this test running, the personality test that went all through social media just like a month ago. And it was quite extensive. Um, and um, it was asking, you know, Is lots like of questions. If, if, and if the woman was wearing a blue dress or a gold dress. That... <laughs> no, I don't. I, I can't remember what it was called. Um, but it was it was funny talking about some of these personality traits. And and I was trying to answer these questions, but what was getting in the way of answering them? W- what I thought was as truthfully as possible for a, a stupid test, which is funny, but it made made me think who who I am now and how I think now is while it's still me it doesn't feel like me from 12 months ago so I w- I answer these questions as to how I'm feeling now but if tomorrow I was cured and you know became hedonistic and, and jumped back on the boards and well not that that's an option at the moment it's a very small venue um, my answers would be different mm. um, but yes with regard to um with loyalty that uh, yes I, I'm, I'm, I, I would consider myself to be loyal we've known each other um, a couple of decades we're into yeah decade. and then some will you stop hearing my questions no I'm sorry I'm just <laughs> waiting for you to tick things <laughs> off <laughs> just got I'm giving people a bit, a bit of perspective that we're sitting in a room and we've got I know that's the uh, we've got the um, beauty of podcasting it's yeah, yeah. authentic and um, that's, that's people good. are here with us there's, there's research here you've got there's a, for those listening it's a manila folder with half a ream of paper well, Michael Falzon as I told you just printing off your Wikipedia <laughs> page I've gone through half a ream of paper but that's <laughs> fine that's fine I'll, I'll, um, I'll simply reuse that <laughs> Um, so when, when I met you, you were uh, travelling from Brisbane, and I just assumed that you were a Brisbane boy, but you were mm. really born in Sydney. Born in Sydney, uh, moved to Brisbane with my family when I was about 12 or 13, went to high school up there. At Kelvin Grove. Kelvin Grove. Yeah, which um, ha- has a fantastic drama department. Yeah, yeah. It was really good, actually. And it, Was it, that the attraction to go there? Um, no, it was up the road from my house. Oh, right. <laughs> like, he, he, on the same sick. street, in oh. fact. Uh, and, and, and my parents were, uh, at that stage, they were keen to, obviously, you know, a, a school um, with a, a, a keen drama department was, was good for me. I'd, we'd just moved up. I didn't know, you know, I was 12 years old. I didn't know what I, was, what I wanted to do. But um, I just... I'd just the previous year been in my, my first and only a Stedford here, the city of Sydney, Stedford at the Opera House. What category? Uh, I can't remember the category. Right. I was singing, wasn't tap. <laughs> okay. I think it might have been music theatre or. Um, uh, I can't remember actually, song? but I, I sang Where is Love from Oliver. Oh, it might have been music theatre category. I think music yeah. theatre, that's a safe bet, or yeah. Super Camp. I don't know, one of the others if that's a category. Uh, and I won. And right. so I think that's when I had a taste for, um, oh, I could do this. So how old were you then? 12. About 12, right, right. So where were you in choirs? How, how did you know that you could sing? Um, I just always used to sing at home. Right. Um, 
we used to put on little shows. I'm one of six kids. We used to just muck around at home, and uh, and I just your always siblings sang. have a talent. No. Oh well, they have talents. Yeah, um, but, but not an artistic. No, they're, they're not no. My dad, or... my dad, can't sing in tune. Uh, I think you know a few of my siblings dabbled with with instruments, piano and guitar, and um, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I I don't know if any of them if they'd have pushed if they could have developed a talent but mine always seemed very natural to me and i think my mum uh in particular saw that and put me in singing lessons as a young soprano and i've just always loved doing it always always loved doing it And then just fell into it in Brisbane, um, into a little choir after I finished school, um, um, and um, that led to doing some corporates and 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 singing with a uh, an a cappella group where we used to you know tour a little bit. Is that vocal point? That was vocal point, right. uh, and that we did a lot of Manhattan transfer and gospel stuff, and that really developed my ear because I've never. Well, I never really studied music, so I don't I don't read very well. But so I've got are you are singing acoustically then, um, without instruments? So the the, yeah. the harmony group, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. Your voices, yeah, yeah. A little pitch pipe, right. which we use an iPhone for now, <laughs> but a little pitch pipe, and off we went. And um, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it, and and it gave me a different appreciation for music um, and singing with group and listening, which I think, um, well over the i don't know i guess 20 something years that i've been working uh, i think is is lost um i often feel that people don't listen <laughs> on a stage in a show mm-hmm. and i think you know that's with respect to institutions um because everyone is being built to be a star um and so you're a soloist everyone's a soloist but i think the when you can sing together is when the most beautiful music is made um, you know, literally and metaphorically. Um, and, um, yeah, that really developed my ear and, and, and a taste for different styles of music and, and um, yeah, and got my first show up in Brizzy, which was Pirates of Penzance. With uh, Sam Miguel Hurst Company, was it SG? Yep, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Opera Queensland. Right, Opera Queensland, right, at the time. Yeah. Uh, and then Pinafore. So some of your early music theatre experiences were Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is really funny because... Um, I mean, there, there's an opportunity to do some great choral stuff as well. Oh, beautiful yeah. music, you know, and some and some some lovely moments in the show where I remember <laughs> we were in Sydney at the State Theatre, and there was this wonderful a cappella moment where the whole cast on stage in in Pirates would sing together. I can't remember the 
Oh God, I can't remember the what the um, song's called. Yeah, Do you know it? It's the big guess. Yeah, the um, big poetry. Um, yeah, something about poetry yeah. and hey, all this and something yes. that. <laughs> and then without fail, because it was the same. Well, it was. I was going to say it was. Um, hail the poetry, same. isn't it? No. I don't know. Maybe someone People someone's going to write it. We're going to get in trouble. Oh, you call yourself a musical theatre performer? Um, uh, and then, like clockwork, every night because it was at the same time, you'd get this rush of trains <laughs> in the subway <laughs> underneath that would just ruin the moment every day. But um, I had some of the best best time uh, times of my life. I think when I've, I was twenty twenty one, it was my first show working with John English, um, um, wonderful John English, uh, who would never miss a, a, a show or a beat. Um, and it was such an education and Tony Lamond and, you know, you know, it's like you in, in a, an ensemble dressing room. And at that age, you're just like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> what, what am I doing? How is this a job? Yeah, um, too much fun too much fun and uh, I was very lucky that I basically bounced from show to show which feels like we could in those days and not so much anymore um, went into um, yeah Pinafore Joseph Medicine Dreamcoat um, I did I did a show up in Cairns to open up a casino up there where I met um, Amanda Harrison for the first time <laughs> we've been friends ever since um, yeah and then uh, I kind of came to a point where I don't know if it was ego or just waking up to myself. Um, <clears throat> when uh, David Dixon, that's how far we're going back from Indecent Obsession, was playing Joseph and left the cast to go into Les Mis, um, I thought, oh, I was the cover. Naturally, they'll give me the role, right? <laughs> we're in Hong Kong, I think. And they ended up... everybody knew your name. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, but no, my naivety thought, well, they don't need a name because it's we're in Hong Kong and it's a, at that stage it was an Asia tour and but I imagine so, Indecent Obsession would have had a bit of a following in Hong Kong absolutely yeah but you don't think of those things no. when you're an ego driven little 20 something and you just and want ambitious. to play the role ambitious obviously ambition is important absolutely yeah. um, and they brought someone over from London um, and I was I, I won't say devastated that's wrong I was upset it's like, how dare you how very dare you anyway so it was after that contract that I um, decided I'm not going to I'm not going to understudy anymore. I'm not going to do any shows. I'm going to, I'm going to work my way up. Um, and, um, and I waited for different opportunities. I got offered covering roles again, because I had always covered, um, covered roles in shows up until then and, um, kept turning them down. Uh, I was going to do Saturday Night Fever in a sort of, cause I thought I'll get a supporting role cause this is before reality television. So the only option you had was to work hard. <laughs> Sorry, controversial. Um, no, it's true. Now, now you sort of go on and marry somebody you don't know or have an argument in a share house. Take your clothes off. You're a star. Um, yeah, and take photos of yourself looking at yourself in the mirror. Um, so I, uh, yeah, there were a couple of couple of hurdles in there and I didn't do a show for four years. Um, and that's when we were Rock You came along. Um, and it was Amanda who was over in the West End who said, you've got to audition for this show. The news had just broken that it was coming to Australia and that the guy playing the role um, he and I shared some vocal and physical similarities um, and so uh, I I think that's probably the most most um, prepared I've been for an audition in my whole life 
certainly up until that point. I think probably since. <laughs> um, do you wear your uh, favourite leather jacket to every audition? Um, no, I, I don't. I, I did for that. I think everybody rocking up to that audition had the same hairstyle and was wearing the same outfit that Galileo <laughs> wears in the show. But is, it, is the leather jacket a good good luck charm for you, or have I read that wrong? Oh, what, where, what's that? Have you got a... In Wikipedia, it said that you sort of, one of your favourite positions is, a, is your first leather jacket. Oh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And you wore it to We Will Rock You. Oh, my God. Yes, I would have. Um, yeah, I did have a leather jacket, which I have since... My nephew wears it now. Right. Um, oh, well. He's, I've passed on. But it was, at that time, one of my prized... Oh, you know what it's like when you buy your first... Yeah. First you know item of clothing that's yours and you, you you love and you've had your eye on for ages and you finally afford to buy it or you know or your first car or all of that um yeah i did have a leather jacket i used to wear it everywhere and i definitely would have worn it for that audition are you superstitious in the theater no no you don't no, not at all not at all i laughed my ass off actually again back i think it was um pirates my first show again nicholas uh walking around on opening night whistling and 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 just saying, you know, shaking everyone's hands. I just want to say Macbeth. I just want to say Macbeth. Tony Lamont lost her mind. <laughs> he upset a few people. Um, but no, I've never been superstitious. I've worked with a, a lot of people that have um, what I would call, not necessarily superstition, but routine. Um, things need to be a certain way, and I think they have their own process. And um, yeah, running lines every time before they walk on or coming to the stage a certain way and once that's established, that's what you do. I've been, I've always been pretty loose. <laughs> yeah, there's been a, a couple of moments, I think, in my career where I've, I won't say Mr. Q, although that would be accurate, but, you know, I've found myself running to the stage or half-dressed on my way to a I don't know. It's fun. It's fun. But it's what works for you. You've got to keep it fresh. And well, I think that's part of it for me. And it keeps me listening, uh, keeps me engaged. Um, and it has, to be, it has to be fun for me, even if it's dramatic. I think when you are feeling kind of impulsive and, and, and that expression of you're like a bit loose, then you're always in the moment. But if it's too strict, um, guided by superstition uh, or routine and then something goes amiss then you're stuffed you you get thrown um someone drops a line you you're not you're not ready i talked to simon burke last week and he was saying he hates being in the wings he has to be in the dressing room just having fun and yep. then get the call walk straight out on and <laughs> yes the lights, yes the lights i can see that with yeah. simon yeah yeah uh, yeah uh he, we had dinner recently actually and we we're just talking about he was just recently doing the Wharf Review and just talking about that madness because um, I've done one of those as mm. well. And just uh, those experiences kind of really highlight just how on you have to be. Um, and, um, you know, I think Simon forever has had that glint in his eye, hasn't he? <laughs> I think it'd be fun, fun to, to work with him in that regard. So Galileo Figaro... This yeah. is the character you played. It took you around the world. You went to Japan and Edinburgh yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, some yeah. terrific opportunities. Yeah. And I dare say also working with Queen, Brian May, yeah. and Roger Taylor, musical trailblazers. What do you learn from those blokes about oh my God. music and performance? And it's a different world. Um, I mean, that was one of the first, I mean, big jukebox musicals. And it's kind of, you mentioned before about me growing up with, you know, Gilbert Sullivan doing Hello Dolly and all those 
Jerry shows Herman, up. Lloyd Webber. Well, yeah, but that's right. And then I was not a rock singer. I was a musical theatre boy. You know, I had all the CDs and did my diligent... So this was the first time you were required to sort of find a rock voice? Yeah. Well, no. I'd been told by singing teachers um, that my voice wasn't round enough, that I needed to use more vibrato, that I didn't fit a mould. And I came to realise that after many years that I'm a pop singer. (laughs) Uh, You know, ostensibly. um, You know, I love swing. Um, I love... I love singing um, pop stuff. I'm not really a rock well, singer. Magaldi and Evita is a pop singer. Well, yeah, he is. He, of, is. Yeah. he is. He is. He is. But uh, yeah, so I, I embraced that. Uh, and then when we were Rock You Came Around, I'd fully embraced it. I'd done a lot of work on I had sung in all the music um, and, um, and really learned to, I think that was, well, I guess I was 31 at that stage. And I'd learned a lot technically. Um, and that saved my life for that show because that's claimed a lot of voices, that show, that role. Absolutely it has. You hear some of the stories around the traps. Um, Did you experience any vocal fatigue or Oh, vocal dramas? fatigue? Yeah. Absolutely. I had but vo- you maintained your voice? Maintained yeah. my voice um, just through being careful. Um, I'm... I'm very much a, uh, I'm very vocal on when I you know if I take a master class or whatever and talking to 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 um, to kids that are um, kids sound so patronising but young performers um, you know even uh, I call it understudy syndrome because I had it and a lot of people have it <laughs> um, it can be cured with experience uh, but to push push too hard and what you need to do as a professional is you've got to sit at ninety something percent. You can't give it your all. People say you must give it your all. You have to, you, you know, you can be trained to do it or, you know, management or producers or directors or it's got to be 100%. But in any, any role, in any position, in any line of work, if you give 100% every day, what happens? You're going to burn out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for the small little muscles that make up your, your vocal cords and folds and all the rest, if you, once you've done them, you, it's very hard to get them back. Mm. Um, so I was very careful. And one of the things that I learned, um, as for your question, was from Brian May, uh, when I was feeling really tired. It was early on in the run. We'd done a lot of press. You know, we were just, I don't know if it was a few weeks in or three months in, but he was in constant contact, which was wonderful as a mentor. Um, and uh, I just said, I don't know how to get through this. You know, at that stage we were doing... You know, it's eight shows a week. Um, they started loading. Well, I think we were the first show to load into the weekend, the five-show weekend, because that's where that jukebox musical um, family outing come came from. It was like it's shifted again since, but I honestly didn't know how I could get through. And um, and he said he wrote to me and said, um, um, "Don't lose your voice." He says, "No one's going to thank you if you lose your voice." <laughs> And he said, and with that, with that in mind, um, you, if you are stumbling or if you're feeling like you can't get through, they said that, that adulation will help you. <laughs> and, it was, and, it, and he was right. Um, you know, it's, it's Dr. Footlights and it's, um, you know, in that particular show, popping out as the encore to sing Bohemian Rhapsody for 2,000 people, um, 
you know, it was the first time since probably the beginning of my career when in the ensemble days of Pirates when I was thinking, you know, how is this a job? We will rock you, reinforce that um, You've got the, in the, ways I couldn't believe. Like, it was, I felt like I was the luckiest human alive. You've got the, the ghost of Freddie Mercury hanging around too, I guess. <laughs> do, do you know whether he experienced many vocal issues um, sort of performing that material? Well, one of the things that Brian said when, because he, he was out here when we were first doing the show and was, I was doing coaching sessions with him, and he said to me, um, you know, best thing to do is just go back and listen to what Fred did. Get the albums and listen to what Fred did. And at the time I was nodding and going, okay, cool, thanks, Brian. Um, but at the same time thinking, what how am i there's no what what are you talking about anyway but i did do just that thinking you know maybe there's some little kernel of wisdom coming from ryan may that i'm not seeing which there was and i did go and listen and when you isolate his voice um freddie would sing through a massive range um uh, uh not just tonally but there he'd be using you know, thick folds, thin folds, like all the technical things that we know about voice, falsetto, um, like no other artist, lots of diction. Um, but he would not push. Um, he would sing so many different ways in, in like you listen to, um, I don't know, like under pressure or something. Um, and he's got this wonderful, uh, this wonderful line. Um, he starts like chipping around. Kick my razor around the floor these other days. And it goes, he goes all through different vocal qualities. But if you try and sing all that full voice every day, you'll blow it out. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure how far I'm getting off the question here. Oh, no, fantastic. <laughs> no, no, did he have any um, but vocal for, issues? Yes, vocal yeah. issues. But I think when touring, and this is stuff that I was watching on video, he would make concessions and changes um, to how he would sing stuff and might not necessarily go as high. Um, or would change the quality of his voice. So he was a, an amazing technician in that regard. So that's what I, that's what I learned. But I'm sure that, um, you know, in some of the live stuff that we see, um, when he is singing something different, it's because of a physical necessity to do something different. I, don't, I wouldn't think that it would just occur to him. I'll just change it for today. Um, and that, that's the sign of... That's a, that's a, that's a, a clever technician. That's, um, you know, when I was talking about um, what I rudely called understudy syndrome before is that um not knowing um when to shut up not knowing when to change not knowing when to shift and just constantly going for it and trying to give 100 percent when you're not physically able to mm. give 100 percent. and that's the one thing that i've um and that show sorted it out for me um ever since that show where i technically worked out how i was going to sing and place every note and that's something that when, when it's been a challenging role since um, with Hedwig or something like that, I've worked it out and then I, I have a, a, a template, a vocal template to work with rather than just trying to smash it and then kill yourself. <laughs> well, we Will Rock You, you're performing it in theatres but also in huge stadiums. Mm. So, so what's required of you as a performer to, to, to recalibrate, to sort of mm. fill a 2000 seat? Um, well, interestingly, um, one of the reasons that I wanted to do the tour in the UK, it was the first tour and it was going to be the first time that that show had ever played a, an arena. Um, it went on to go and do an arena tour, uh, but Migoyesa did that and I was back in Australia at that stage. Um, but uh, with an arena, 
or a stadium um like oh god with the war of the worlds we played the o2 in london and wow. it's incredible how but, many is that uh, oh accommodate oh no it's 20 something thousand i think that's it's bizarre. it's insane you can't see anything but it's it's interesting because whereas you'd think and i probably thought at the time that you need to be bigger you need to be smaller you're playing for cameras um, in a lot of the bigger venues, you're on in-ear monitors, so you're not... So you're being filmed there and broadcast on big screens. On big screens. So people are sitting right, right, right at the back. Yeah, so it's yeah. almost like you need to pull it back. Right. You well, can't be too much. Course. You can't jump around because the cameras need to follow you. Um, you can't see anything. It's black out there, um, worse than you know any theatre. You've got multiple spotlights in your face because they need to be able to illuminate you for, for cameras. Um, and and when, the sound design must be incredibly precise too. I mean, uh, do you have to be mindful of or, or, or you just trust the sound guys that they look after you? Oh, uh, look, I think every time you get in an arena, you know, they've got, you've, you've got good people looking after you. Um, you know, and any time that I've sung, like, um, you know, they used to do the premieres concerts at the entertainment centre and, you know, the, the people that know the venues, you've got to trust them to know, know what they're doing. And if you know enough about... Um, sound and what you need it's just a conversation that you can have um to to help you but um but yeah interestingly and it might sound weird to a lot of people listening it's like you you do less in a big in a in a big space one of the worlds took you around the world also you know yeah gigs in amsterdam and uh, yep. dublin and yep. london and, uh, and the australian australian tour that was pretty that was pretty amazing do, do audiences differ around the world um not for a show like that right I think diehard fans are diehard fans, um, and with that particular work, um, I mean, similarly to We Will Rock You, I think you, you've got you've got generational audiences. You've got grandparents bringing their children, bringing their grandchildren, um, and um, I think with a show like The War of the Worlds, it's being passed on to to younger kids. That not in the same way that Queen Queen was, um, but uh, I think they're just all fans. It's not it's not rowdy. Um, I think the closest I've felt to audiences being different maybe was I just a couple of years ago I was invited to go to London to perform at the, uh, the with BBC um, Concert Orchestra um, uh, the Music of Queen concert and um, this was a, a show that I'd previously co-produced here in Australia which we did uh, in Sydney and Melbourne um, but I was invited uh, by a London producer to perform at the Coliseum. They called it Friday Night at the Opera because that's where the home of the, the English National Opera is. And I was the only, and it hit me, and it's amazing, you know. I, I felt at my age and with, you know, with my experience, I shouldn't feel like this anymore, but I felt giddy. <laughs> I was the only Australian there. Of all the people in the audience, it was a bunch of, bunch of Brits that own, you know, feel like they own that music. Um, uh, all the other performers were the three other performers were British um, I was the only ring in and it was uh, apparently John Deacon the bass player from Queen was in the audience and he's quite a recluse so I felt um, it's funny I'm getting little kind of butterflies just talking about it again it was one of those moments when I felt lucky to have this as a job um, 
Yeah, quite incredible. So I feel like I'm like, drifting off topic everywhere here. No, it's just fantastic. Um, the pearls of wisdom. But the, um, the, 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 the question you asked is like, the audience has changed much. And that audience, I, I, I've never felt anything like it. It was so warm. And, and because different to audiences here with that kind of music, because it's, it's a different kind of fandom. Um, they're mad for Queen over there, mad for it. And it was that you could feel elation and, 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 and buzz just kind of, you know, seeping up onto the stage. And I mean, any performer, you, we've all felt it, but it's rare. It is rare because sometimes it can feel like you're just going to work. Um, but other times you just go, oh, I'm, I'm a part of that experience that the audience is having. So you're using your rock voice in War of the Worlds as well, and, mm-hmm. and, and Hedwig of the Angry Inch, yep. which is was such a, a raw and authentic, and dare I say, a very brave <clears throat> performance from you. Um, how did you um, prepare that role? Hedwig? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Because oh, you, you were fantastic. I saw it at the Metro. Yeah, oh, Sydney. thank you. Yeah, I loved it. Um, um, I don't... <laughs> I don't know I had two and a half weeks because um, I don't think I'm speaking too much out of school here Um, might might be um, something that people know they originally had uh, cast someone and it didn't work out and I'd become available um, and um, and um, the producer had been in touch to say can you come on in Um, and I came in for the director uh, Craig Eilert um, and Kelly Abbey was doing choreography and um, David Hawkins producing and I went and sang for them, had to learn everything pretty quickly and they just went, okay, yeah, let's go, we'll do this. Um, and I think off the strength of We Rock You, they thought, well, at least it's going to bring something. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the vocals, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, we didn't have much time because the dates are all set. Um, we were going up to Brisbane first, up to um, QPAC. Um, so my preparation for that role was I just immersed myself yes fully in the music watch the film um learn to walk in heels hey learn to walk in heels learn to walk in heels <laughs> one of the astonishing things that um i did almost well by accident really in the preparation was um because with that show it deals with the masks we wear um you know the self-loathing and and um all of all of the things that we try to uh conquer in our lives so we can just be happy <laughs> um, and he's you know the greatest mask that you you can wear is to just really defy who you are <laughs> um, until the end of that show where you strip everything away and you're there in your undies just a man um, but I had gotten into full full drag and we we're going to go and do a photo shoot at the Metro uh, for publicity and as we were coming up in the car on George Street I said stop let me out here. I'll walk the rest of the way. Uh, and I don't know <laughs> what I was thinking. Um, I wanted to see what it was like, not on a stage, but to walk up in the middle of the Sydney CBD in that particular area as well through Haymarket. Um, and but that experience <clears throat> just to form you as an actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. The character yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah, the 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 gazes that I had. Um, I felt like people wanted to kill me at some points. Uh, I'm glad it wasn't a very long walk, um, but um, I felt very much like um, Cersei and of Game of Thrones, which is that walk of right. people looking at yeah. looking at you, like you are a freak, and um, and uh, other people looking at you with understanding. 
Uh, I just soaked it. That was probably the most um, helpful um, thing I, I could have done with the preparation for that role. And Kelly Abbey, of course, was she was remarkable. She taught me to 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 move like a woman. She told me secrets of of being a woman, like sitting on the edge of a chair for your posture, always you know crossing your legs, bevel, and it's all about trying to 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 appear to to attract. Um, so they were very helpful with all the tools that they gave me. Um, but then, yeah, I just just um, immersed myself in it. And at the time, I was also going through a divorce, um, my first marriage, and so it was a very cathartic experience. And I think that that helped me in in many ways as well, which seems odd, but there aren't many roles, I think, that um, would give you that luxury of being able to draw on some truly emotional things uh, to be able to inject into the role and it was funny because I remember reading reviews <laughs> all ego aside I've got some really wonderful um, mentions and I just thought all I was doing up on stage every night was having a cry and a nervous breakdown <laughs> and everyone loved it <laughs> yeah. brilliant brilliant because brilliant. that's the great thing of, of theatre and, and yeah. it, it has those enormous healing properties not oh, only for yeah. the audience but for the performance yeah and it was remarkable sorry just before we move on i used to at the end of the show each night you'd be walking around the the stage and just you'd peer into the audience and um um and all these men that had been you know brought along to see the show by you know just in protest you know they didn't want to be their arms folded like what the fuck is this um but by the end of the show they're weeping because uh, it has such a strong message mm-hmm. um and i think that's you know, one of the great things about our job is that, um, yeah, it can be fun. It can have, or it can have a, you know, a very, you know, resounding point to make. Um, but um, it's different. It's so different from show to show. Um, it can be an entertainment. It can be light, or it can be, you know, super Freudian and deep and make you want to weep. Atomic offered you uh, an experience. Um, which not a lot of performers have, but creating an original role. Yeah. Ground up. Oh yeah, I leapt at I leapt at that because um, uh, it is so rare. I mean, I, I felt like I had a little a little bit of flexibility with with a lot of the stuff that I've done, um, and directors have kind of you know been <laughs> been kind to let me find things um, that might not necessarily have been done that way before. But with Atomic, which is just coming from the page for the first time, that's um it's challenging you kind of think wow you know how did they do all this when they're piecing together things like phantom or um you know these big shows that are highly technical and um, expect a lot of their originating performers um but the music in that show the story is really interesting and we didn't nobody knew about it because it was one of those 50 year um, uh, um embargoes on information out of the united states that we only found out about um, Leo Zillard who was one of the nuclear physicists that helped create the atomic bomb which you know you wouldn't necessarily go oh shit I need to write a musical about that but there were a couple of people that did um, Philip Foxman and um, Danny Ingus and, um, and the music music was um, remarkable uh, a really good sing pushed me in, in different ways again um, and then the challenge of, of of playing a Hungarian Jew and trying to be honest with that, um, it was yeah, it was a pretty good opportunity and um, and a nice a nice little run. Went on to Off Broadway and 
Might we see it again? Because it's <clears throat> a beautiful school. Um, yeah, look, there's hope to bring it back next next year. It's in early talks uh, now. It has had success in the States. Um, I was invited over to New York to do a recording for it, um, and that exists. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been like an Australian-US co-pro um, and um, I think it's just hard, you know, to keep these things running. And it is an interesting topic to be able to sell to people. Mm. I think that's a challenge in itself. But once people hear it, they go, oh, that's really cool. He was there in an instant with barely a... You look a lamb lost. Turned up late, my night was corrupted. Was on my way here, but got interrupted. I'm sorry to say I was arrested. Are you feeling okay? Can I get you something? My body's cold, could you some touching? The night up to now has left much to desire. My body's yours for what you require. You'll never have need of money again. Those words they cause through my body Then lift up your dress, dear, and let it begin I offer myself to you, sir Are you blushing? There's a butcher out here in the streets of Whitechapel I don't fear the boogeyman How do I seem under this light? Like someone who Face is so pale under moonlight, and your body it trembles in the cold of the night. You came into this world on nothing, and you And just like that, I was dead. What's the Jack the Ripper story? Oh, uh, Get Jack. Get Jack. Jack is the name of the show. Um, yeah, so um, Damien Gray, who has written, written that with um, Kip Winger from the band Winger. He's written all the music and he, um, he got nominated for a Grammy for writing the music for a ballet as well. Like he's a rocker, um, but he's also a wonderful composer. And so I don't know how it happened, but some, somehow... Someone in New York said, you guys need to talk because Kip wants to write a musical and Damien wants to write a, a musical. Um, so they've written this epic tale about the five victims and it's from their perspective oh, wow. how they each got killed and they all front up in hell and have to tell their story. And so they tell the story and the perspective of Jack changes um, each time they tell their story and then they try to um, seek vengeance on him from the grave. Uh, but Kelly Devine, who I work with on Rock of Ages, is, is attached to direct. Uh, they've I went over, did a workshop, and we recorded that at um, at a, what's it called, Electric Ladyland, um, Jimi Hendrix studio. Again, sitting in a studio with Eden Espinosa um, and uh, Levi Christ, who won a, 
a, a Tony for a million dollar quartet and I'm, you know, a ring in <laughs> again, just thinking, this is my job. Yeah. And it's funny, that never goes away after, you know, 25 years or however long it's been, it never goes away. Um, but yeah, that's still in constant development and that's, that's um, I'm not quite sure when they're looking at opening it or where. Obviously, there's the whole climate's changed now, but there was talk of them launching it, you know, in the east end of London in a warehouse or something, wow. which wow. would be cool. So... Uh, but again, that's next level singing. Um, I, I had to, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of off a plane and into a room and into a studio and, um, you know, singing top, top C's and it's just, it's, it's crazy. It's a proper rock opera. It's like old school. I grew up listening to Jesus Christ Superstar and Evita, um, and all those, all those shows, um, and to have an opportunity to, to, to get to, um, kind of building a character um with a with a a rock opera uh is pretty cool so yeah fingers crossed that that that's still still going ahead somewhere at some stage and that i'm well enough to do it that's the other thing <laughs> she lay there sleeping like i am her man the world falls apart according to plan no one to disturb what I'm here to do such a beautiful silence is death's dull set tune I'm God almighty and I stand here this night and Have you continued to sing through your illness? Is that Have I continued to sing through your illness? Oh, I mean, do you, do you no, not really. Sing in the shower or no? I have a little hum. I mean, it's it's pretty hard. I, I um because I've had such little energy um, that comes and goes. Um, I've I've been kind of focusing on energy on on different things. Um, um, almost feel selfish at the moment to to. To make it about me, I don't know if that makes any sense. In my head, it does, um, because um, I'm not in a hurry to to get out there and um, and and perform. I miss it a lot. I have to say, I miss it a lot. Uh, but it feels like it's such that's such a um, oh god! I just keep on coming with this word that it's, it's a make it about me. I don't think it's gonna. It's necessarily a therapeutic. Thing, I think it will be a reward for me at the end of it all. Um, but I, I do, I do miss it. Uh, I listen to a lot of music, um, and again, you know, when the High Standards concert we did the fundraiser, I, I got up and had a little sing. But I think probably, well, a little bit more than subconsciously now that I'm that I'm voicing it, I don't feel like I would be able to sing at the moment at the level to the level that I, I expect of myself and that anyone would also expect of, of me. Um, so until I can 
operate on all cylinders. Um, I'm just kind of not. <laughs> You've got other focuses. Well, I do have other focuses. I've got to, you know, I've, I've got to, got to go through what I'm going through now, uh, and come out the other side of it, and then and then celebrate. And you absolutely, that celebration will involve music and lots and lots of singing. Well, let's hope it's uh, it's not before too long. Michael, thank you. Um, it's so wonderful to see you uh, chipper and, um, and, and yeah, with great enthusiasm and energy. So uh, long may that continue. I know it will continue. Um, and thanks for talking to Stages. Oh, thank you so much, Peter. Real, real honest pleasure. Thank you. I'm older than history as I stand at pavement's edge. There forms a crooked queue as the lake is being dredged. I don't feel a trace of shame I'll let your suffice for two But heart spills onto nowhere No memory, no you The gathering twilight The comforting darkness My counsel of twins shall burn on earth as it is in heaven and that's the third track that we've heard from the musical get jack which michael spoke briefly about michael tells me that the music defies any cliche or specific genre and if anything it's a rock opera with a killer cast pardon the pun, he says, and sensuous music and arrangements by Grammy nominee Kip Winger. Now, of course, it's the Jack the Ripper story, but uh, in this case, the five women that Jack the Ripper murdered returned to slash their names across history and take down their murderer. It's a new American musical in development, with recording being more of a concept album. Kelly Devine, who Michael worked with on Rock of Ages, is now at the helm. And of the three songs that we listen to today, or in this episode, the first two feature Michael as Jack the Ripper. Then that last one we just heard, uh, The Requiem, represents his subconscious thoughts. Michael leapt at the chance to uh, go to New York and work on another new piece, uh, a new musical, and one which was vocally challenging. And of course to work alongside Eden Espinosa and Levi Tony winner Levi Christ. Um, Michael is a lovely guy, isn't he? And we thank him for being so so genuine and candid in that conversation today. Um, you might have noticed that I sounded a little bit distant when uh, when I was uh, questioning him then. Um, he was close up to the mic, of course. We recorded that a few weeks ago, of course, when the distancing um, advice had, had just come in. So we were doing the right thing and uh, certainly kept at a distance. And it's great to have that uh, 
in the current climate to uh, to play for you and, and share with you uh, so we can all uh, listen to uh, that great conversation with Michael and also the uh, the two musicals that we featured today. As I said, the, the last one was Get Jack by Kip Winger and Damien Gray. And the first three pieces that we heard were from the musical Atomic, Music and Lyrics, Philip Foxman and the Book and Lyrics by Danny Gingers. A sprawling biographical musical about Hungarian physicist Leo Szilard, who, in a remarkable life, conceived the idea of nuclear chain reaction, co-patented the first nuclear reactor, and was instrumental in the creation of the first atomic bomb. It was a much-lauded Australian-USA co-production. Michael was approached early about the piece in 2013 and was excited to create the role of Leo Szilard in that original production. A version of the Australian production later moved to Off-Broadway in 2014 before the musical album was recorded in New York, again with Michael as Leo in 2016. And there are plans afoot for a new version of the show in Sydney for 2021. Great uh, scores of both of those, Get Jack and Atomic. Um, Get uh, Jack is not yet available, but we certainly uh, wait with bated breath for when that, that will be available. And Atomic, you can uh, purchase from iTunes if you'd like to hear more of that score, that fantastic score. Next week on stage, we have a two-part uh, episode, and my guest will be Simon Burke, who'll be talking about an extensive career from um, the start as a child performer in the film The Devil's Playground, right up to recent casting, which he received in the week that we recorded the episode. Again, a few weeks ago, and we certainly uh, do the right thing and keep our distance with that conversation. That's next, next week on Stages. My guest will be Mr. Simon Burke. Don't miss that one. As always, I'm Peter Eyes. You've been listening to Stages. I'll catch you next time. Music